Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? Well, I mean, you know, it's all good, right? It's all... It's fine. And as long as my heart keeps beating, you know, I'm That's fine. That's right. I'm, I... So when you wake up in the morning, do you have, is that like one of your first thoughts? Like, is my heart okay? Yeah, it's more, it's interesting. So AFib happens more at night when you lay down, if you're going to have it at that's the time, because your heart usually sends, your brain sends signals to your heart. We're going to sleep, calm down. And if you have AFib, it doesn't calm down. So I'm always like, is it, but I, I'm okay. And I'm on medicine to slow it down. So um, I know I'm covered and the other thing, but yes, the answer is yes to that question. But I also then can calm myself down because they did so many tests on my heart while I was there that I, they know it's fine. There's no sign of heart disease. So it's more like, um, yeah, it's just anxiety. That's what it is. It's, it's, it's heart anxiety. All right. Well, since we, we tend to do so many, um, you know, public service announcements for our adoring public, Tell us what it is like to get your heart tested. Like, what do they do? Okay. So it's really, it's quite crazy. Um, So first of all, they just take tons of blood and you realize that it's true what they say that you could fill up three bathtubs with your blood or two (gasps) bathtubs. Is that what they say? Ask Erin. Ask Erin. I could be making that up. But my nurse said that, but you know, she said, I guess it depends on how big you are, but she said that, she said that, um, I think she said two or three bathtubs of blood if you emptied out a person. And I was like, because uh, because they took 10 vials of blood over two days, like big vials. And I was like, am I going to bleed? Am I going to bleed to death? And she was like, no, honey. But she may have been using, what, hyperbole or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. But the point is, you we have a lot of blood in there. But anyway, so first they did a battery of blood tests and everything was fine. So that didn't freak me out. But what is freaky is the echocardiogram. So the echocardiogram is where it's basically an ultrasound of your heart. However, they shoot you with dye so they can see it. And you have to lay in these weird positions and they're literally like moving your ribs out of the way, moving your organs out of the way to get to the heart on the outside. So they don't go inside anywhere. Um, But it's like lean here, it, it, and and at that time, I was sweaty and puking. So I was like, lady, oh. I was like, can we, she's like, you're really sweaty. I'm like, no shit. I've been, I'm like having some kind of problem here. And she's like, oh, but she doesn't care. Her job is to get the test done. She, right. she was funny since she was doing a heart test, but she was literally the most caring one. And I understand she's got to get these pictures of the heart. Yeah. And at one point I made the mistake. I should have never ever done this but I said how's it looking <laughs> and she goes she goes I can't tell you that it'll be read by your cardiologist I'm not allowed to say anything and I said oh I don't know what it just came out of my mouth because I was so nervous that I was like what is she seeing is she seeing well I you know well okay so I the my only thing I can relate to with that is when you go to get your ultrasound when you're having a baby you know, you are kind of trying to read the person's face, but they do say, I mean, just to be, they always say like, well, you know, obviously everything has to be interpreted by your doctor, but it's it, like, it's looking good. It's looking good to me. Just to say like, they're not like, whoa. She, well, she goes, she, she did. She helped me out because I was like, oh my God, she's not going to say anything. But then she goes, but she, you know, she goes, I can't say anything, but at the same time, I'm not running out of here call, getting ICU on the phone or whatever, or like right, the right. heart doctor on the phone. So that made me feel better. And I did yeah. know already that my heart was beating irregularly. So I thought, well, maybe Maybe she's just talking about that. That, it, but I thought, oh, what if she sees something else? Because that's where they can really see if there's heart disease, if there's um, valve cl- problems, clogged arteries. They can see that with the with the ultrasound. Um, um, and they take. I always forget with with ultrasounds and with MRIs. I didn't have an MRI this time, but that it's t- it takes forever. They 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 because they're measuring each function of the heart. But so basically, mm-hmm. you're half naked on your side 
but then being told to contort and then being told to hold your breath when you feel nauseous and have to puke and you're sweating. So you have to hold your breath. And I was like, oh, I'm going to, this is not going to end well. Like we, it is going to be, but I made it. Yeah, because you were sick. You had a virus. I had a virus and my heart was beating irregular. It was the worst. That was the low point of my stay was Monday morning when she was like, and hold your breath. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> she goes, how are you doing? I said, I'm dripping with sweat. I have a fever. I don't feel well. And she, and I didn't say it rudely, but I was just like, I'm not feeling well. And she goes, okay, we're almost done. And they say that and they're never almost done. So, right. um, and she, then she had to inject more dye, whatever. So the point is, it's a weird thing. And also I am so grateful I, I'm telling you, I, I don't, I, I consider myself a pretty positive person, but I, I'm really grateful that it happened so that I know my baselines for my heart functioning. So mm-hmm. another PSA for our listeners, go to the doctor. L- l- listen, I know if you're shamed about, if you feel yeah. something's wrong, go. If you think they're going to shame you, go anyway. It, it, they probably will shame you because our medical system is kind of screwy, but it doesn't matter. Go for you and go. If you f- feel there is a problem and, and you're afraid to go, bring someone with you if it, when it's not COVID times or if you can have someone that support, but don't wait because it, it, it's, it's, um, I feel like it's better to, I do feel like, and I felt like this with my mom with her cancer journey and everything. It's better to know what the heck is going on with yourself yeah, or yeah. what you love. That way, when it happens, if it happens again, you're like, no, no, no. I know what this is. I know how to, I have a team. Get yourself a team that you trust and you can call your team and say, whether it's doctors and support people and say, hey, my heart's doing that weird thing again. So just don't be mm-hmm. alone in the thing, but do yeah. go to the doctor. I hate going to the doctor. but You know, when you said that thing about the bathtub's full of blood, that reminds me of like when they tell you if you connected all your neurons or, or whatever. Yeah. No, you're... It's, what Synap- is it, your neuro- synapses, synapses, something like something that. that. They would go around if the globe go- or something. Yeah, and I'm like, but wait, no, that can't. That's how is that even? How is that a? How does something that fit inside your butt that doesn't make any sense? It's crazy. I mean, I, I someone said our intestines are half a mile long. I don't know if that's. <laughs> Let's lay them out and find out. <laughs> they did that. They did that in torture times. But Oof, but um, crazy. Yeah. So so anyway, it was a weird experience. I feel really grateful. I I, I you know I've changed my diet significantly. We'll see how it, how it works. Like I, I have, I'm, I'm just eating a, a tremendous amount of fish. It's unbelievable. Um, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. That's pretty, that's a huge commitment because my thing with fish is I only ever order it in restaurants because I hate cooking it in my house. They hate the way it smells. Do you have some like tips. cool tips for so, fit, eating fish at home? The fi- Yes. The fish you want to get is salmon or tilapia smell the least. And also you want to just crank your fan on but also you want to keep if you keep the lid on it it doesn't smell as bad so I don't bake it I pan I pan sear it or I and I have a lid on at all times it's when it's in the oven or exposed that it like permeates everything Um, so that but really yeah it just gets kind of it does get kind of fishy but it it goes away I I, uh, I'm a weirdo and burn a tremendous amount of sage in the house so so it's kind of like fishy sage but you know whatever well dude if it's saving your heart like it can smell like whatever death yeah whatever yeah exactly (laughs) so i'm doing all right oh i'm really happy that because i think if i were in your position i would find it really difficult to make so many changes all of a sudden yes i think it's easier when you don't have children to be honest yeah probably but i am doing something in solidarity with you which is that i realized that i since the pandemic have been drinking alcohol every single night so i stopped drinking alcohol good for you yeah and it's great like it's i'm realizing like oh this was just a terrible habit one that doesn't if it negatively impacts your sleep Mm. um actually weirdly I think creates more anxiety in a weird way. I don't, I don't really know how that works, but I feel less anxious. That's fantastic. Really weird. 
was the other thing I was noticing? That's really good. Um, how were you? <laughs> how much were you drinking? <laughs> well, I would always have a glass of wine and then something else, like right. before bed, like a whiskey or a you know, yeah. like a spirits. Yeah. And it was, you know, and you just talk yourself into like, this is fine. Right. Everybody does this. This right. is totally fine. Uh, not to mention, like, I have an enormous family history for addiction. So right. it was never a smart idea for me to begin with. Yeah. And, and you know, and as much as I'd like to say, oh, I'll probably go to a point where I can drink occasionally. I'm not, I, th- I think what happens to me is that I just, it's habits. It's like when I do something that I like, it could be eating cookies or drinking alcohol or not that I would ever do this, but snorting cocaine. Sure. If I do it and I like it, then I just want to do it every day. Yeah. I think that that's, that's so right. And I, then I just, I, I get stuck in relate. routines. Yeah. I get I stuck relate. in routines very quickly. I, I relate to that a hundred percent. And for me, um, since I don't really, I don't drink any, you know, I haven't, I don't really do that, that, but I, but McDonald's is the same thing. So people think, how can you, how can you eat McDonald's? It's so gross. Haven't you seen those, haven't you seen those things where they leave the burger and the fries out? I don't care about any of that. To me, no, Mc, it's good. McDonald's is a treat to be celebrated when you want to celebrate something or when you're in a hurry and you don't have time, you just want to cram something in. It is all those things. So I, 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 and I haven't obviously had that since I've, since I've been in the hospital, but I, um, I think it's delicious. I don't care what people say. Yeah. Ooh, a filet of fish. Mm, And people people are like, you, 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 you know, and someone's like, well, after a while, it'll be gross to you. I'm like, no, it won't. But I, I still won't do it because I, I know that yeah. the thing about McDonald's too, is actually the thing that gets you is the sodium. So, so my doctor was like, it's, it's look, it's the, of course it's the fat and carbs and all that crap. But the thing that's really dangerous for your heart with McDonald's is the amount of sodium that's in it and your blood yeah. pressure. So he's like, what they don't tell you is the is the secret things that'll kill you from these fast food places. People are thinking, "Oh, it's bad for you," but why is it bad? Well, it's bad because the amount of sodium in a in a uh, uh, like a quarter pounder with cheese is your daily is your intake for two weeks. You're supposed to have, <gasps> yeah. And a quarter pounder. Yeah. So he's like, it's, it, it's, so you'd have to eat zero other salt for two weeks to make, to get it level again. And I'm like, well, that's crazy. I can't do that. And he's like, right. So uh, don't eat at McDonald's. And it's because of the sodium. And I'm like, oh, you're a genius. (laughs) He's like, no, I just see the effects of people, 22 year olds that have had McDonald's every day who have the blood pressure of an 89 year old that has, you know, an 89 year old heart. And I'm like, did you ever watch that? And I, and I know this guy is like problematic or weird, whatever that guy, Morgan Spurlock, and he did that thing. That was so creepo that what's called supersize me. Right. Um, Now, there's an argument to be made for like you shouldn't eat the same thing every day no matter what it is unless it's like wheatgrass and salmon i guess uh but it was profound he 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 he, you could see it was only 30 days and you could see the way he looked it was just like doughy and greasy and just pale and just gross yeah it's not good it's but it tastes at the time it tastes delicious and you know, when I take comfort in for better or worse, is that the fact that, you know, we are a fast food nation and I am not the only one with this problem makes me feel, he's oh, like, no. you know, which actually makes me feel better. Cause I'm like, okay. Yeah. He's like, I'm having this conversation that I'm having with you at least 10 times a day with patients. And I'm like, just wow. talking about diet and food and um, exercise yeah. and heart health. He's like, we don't learn about heart health. Nobody knows about heart health. It's just, we should all be on a heart healthy diet. We, we just aren't, you know? And mm-hmm. I, and, mm-hmm. and so anyway, it made me feel less, um, less alone to know that like, well, clearly, you know, every, everyone is in this boat, you know, and it's just degrees. Yeah, and and honestly, like you deserve so much credit for breaking a particular cycle, which is that you're you learned after your father's death that he was coping in a way that was unhealthy for him. He probably knew that it was unhealthy. He probably worried that it was going to kill him. 
he probably had shame about admitting that or going to the doctor. Totally. So he just suffered in silence, kept his died. secrets to himself, and just died and left <laughs> you and your sister and your mother and like a lot to deal with yeah. in the aftermath. Yeah. So true. And he was afraid. He didn't go to the dentist for uh, 17 years. And then they had to pull all his. T- I mean, he was that kind of a guy. I can't live like that. Mostly, I, I just, I, I, I mean, I could, but I, I choose not to because my, I can't take the worrying. Like he was able to be in denial so much. I mean, he was probably very worried, like you say, but he was able. The worrying wasn't enough to drag his butt to the doctor. Also, mm-hmm. my mother was totally, totally unsupportive of him. She was like, mm-hmm. I don't care if you want to go to the doctor. You don't want to, you know, like that's not. Right that's not a good way. And, and it's your, you made your bed lie in it kind of a thing. So thank gosh, I have a, I have a partner too. That's like, Nope, let's go to the emergency room. Your heart's freaking yeah. out. You gotta go. Yeah. Let's go. Um, yeah. So I don't feel, I don't feel alone, which is good. Um, that's good. So, that's wonderful. So- I'm, I'm happy. I couldn't be happier that you're here and we're continuing. My, my bruises are going away. My bruises are going away. Today on the podcast, we have Kat Phillips, who you know from just a ton of TV shows, too many to list here, as well as one of my favorite movies called But I'm a Cheerleader with Natasha Lyonne, which is coming up on its anniversary, and we'll have a all-new director's cut. Um, anyway, she's also a human rights advocate and a fire pet rescue angel and an all-around lovely human being, so please enjoy our interview with Kat Phillips. Congratulations, you survived theater school. I sure did. So, so did you. <laughs> yes, we all did. And that's that's why we're all here. So it's great to see you. Boz is right. You do sound exactly the same. And I don't think I've spoken to you or seen you since the late 90s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you've been up to a lot. You've... Uh, right now, your work is not acting related, I don't think. Um, or is it? No. Um, I've been writing poetry. And then also, um, I'm a commissioner for human rights, Sonoma County 3rd District, and a member of the Human Trafficking Task Force. Wow. And um, just been really involved in the community. Um, I'm also a fire pet rescue, uh, person. It's been, um, crazy here with the fires. Uh, ever since 2017 is when I joined, um, a month after the Tubbs fire, which Mm was, it got up to about four minutes away. Wow. And that's the one that took out thousands of homes. And um, I was on Facebook and I saw this picture come up and it was this woman going down a, a storm drain to get a cat. And I was like, these people need help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, that's when I joined, and we've been active in every single um, fire incident since. Wow. Oh. Is it dangerous? I mean, is what, what do you put yourself in danger? Um, during the Kincaid fire, we were going to be deputized to go behind the fire line um, because they were like, if, if we can get in there sooner, we can actually save more animals, you know. And um, because it, the hardest part is cats. They're um, like a dog. You, you literally just throw some food down and a dog comes to you. And you're like, okay, let's find your home. Right. Cats are like, bye, see ya. And um, yeah, it's, it, it was crazy. We found, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of animals. And most of them got returned to their owners. Um. <laughs> How did you end up at the theater school? I mean, that's a sort of a large question, but I mean, were you a, an actor as a kid? Did you, yes, how did you end actually, up? Um, I've been acting since I was about nine or 10. And um, I had already been 
accepted at several different colleges. Um, one of them was a full ride scholarship. To this day, I kick myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, in high school in Indiana, we took a trip to Chicago to go to the art museum in my senior year. And as we were driving into the city, I was like, wow, what a beautiful city. And so we had a, an assignment. I can't remember what the assignment was, but it was a, something like I had to go study a certain painting and then and write a paper on it. So I went in, I found the painting. I, I just like took notes real quick and then I bolted. I, I left and I explored the city by myself, um, got lost, got on the L, was like ate hot dogs and um, <laughs> I just fell in love with Chicago. And so I made it back to the bus just in time to get back to Indianapolis. All my friends were like, where the hell were you? I was like, oh my God, the city is so <laughs> And um so then I just started, started studying schools in Chicago for, for acting and the theater school came up as, as a, an amazing school. And so I auditioned and was ex so surprised that I got in. And it was weird because I was one of the very few people from my high school that actually left the state. Wow. And um, I was like, I'm, I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> that's surprising to me because usually you think in cities i mean you're from indianapolis right um i went to high school there oh okay you but you're fr you're from a more a smaller place um i'm army brat so i was all over i was gotcha. actually like born in massachusetts and moved to new zealand and moved to germany and then moved to indiana i didn't so, know that whoa yeah. So did you, do you remember your audition at the theater school? Cause we've been asking, first of all, I wanted to say that people have said similar things. Most people say, I'm shocked. I got in. It's interesting yeah. and very talented people. And I consider you very talented. I remember you as being very, and, and people have said, I'm shocked. I got in. And so yeah. do you remember your audition cat? Oh yeah. I was you so scared. Um, I remember my mother traveled to Chicago with me and that's when she learned that I, I smoked cigarettes because I was so nervous that I was like, I just, I can't even hide this from you. So, and she was like, oh, give me one. And, <laughs> and, and I just remember, well, as a, a lot of times when, when I would act, I don't really remember my actual performance. Um, I don't know if you guys have that experience too, where it's just kind of like this blank space. And then all mm -hmm. of a sudden you're like holding hands and bowing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like um, an out of body situation. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, I really don't, I remember just being really nervous, really scared. And then just being like, well, oh, they're either going to say yes or they're going to say no. Mm-hmm. So, Go out there and do your best. And so w w then get starting school there. I mean, we know you were really excited to be living in Chicago, but regarding the program, how did it match up with what you expected it to be? I was overwhelmed. Um, I didn't realize the program was going to be that intense. Um, I felt very alone. Um, you know, acting is a very, um, what do you call it? Everybody's trying to be the best. Everybody's trying to outshine the other person. Um, competitive? Very competitive. And it was, thank you. Um, I felt for quite a while, like, how are we supposed to truly make something beautiful when we're always in competition with each other? 
That's, yeah. You know, because for me, the best amazing part about theater is the connection to the other people. That's mm -hmm. the brilliance of, of theater. You know, like I remember uh, Yellow Boat with the both of you. And we, because of the way that we were, especially with the, um, the process of how we got there with Avcali, um, it was very natural. It was very firm. It was very, I know that I could lean on you guys and you guys could lean on me. Um, mm -hmm. We had trust and that mainly I think in class was kind of missing because I don't know. Sense to me, and how did you deal with that competitiveness? Because we were talking to people, and people do all kinds of things to get through. And I'm just wondering, how did you how did you manage? How did you get through? Um, I just stayed in my own uniqueness. Um, I realized very early on that I was not in any way, shape, or form to be compared to anybody in my class, and that is not a a, a boastful thing. It has nothing to do with talent. It was, it was kind of like I had to find my own strength. And, um, and so I was like, we're, we're all completely different. And so I was, and I just tried to be as supportive as possible to my classmates and, um, whether they were supportive of me or not. That's yeah, it, go ahead. It, it's interesting the whole thing about competition because that comes up almost to everybody with everybody that we talk to. And I, I, so like in the rear view, I can say, yes, it was competitive or I felt competitive or, and my version of feeling competitive was always just feeling less than. So it was really just doing it kind of all <laughs> inside. But do we think that the school itself? propagated this whole idea about competition or is it just inherent to this type of work where millions of people want to be an actor and there's only so many paid positions to do it? Um, I, at first I thought it was the school. At first I thought, you know, wow, that was, that was really rough and it felt like boot camp, <laughs> and I don't think I've ever been so busy in my life, um, except now. That's weird. I'm really busy right now. <laughs> um, but the the pressure they put on you um, was exorbitant. And then when I left Chicago and went to Hollywood, I was very thankful for the training that I received because I was like, wow, this is competitive. Mm. And, you know, and now I've got this thick skin and, and I just, I wasn't scared at all. So the training that I re received from the school was exactly what I needed because Hollywood is like, Oh my God, like swimming with sharks. It's crazy. You know, you could walk into an audition and see a, a friend of yours and be like, Hey, what's up? And they were like, don't talk to me. And I'm like, hmm. okay, we'll talk later. I guess. Hmm. Are you up for the same part as me? I'm like, Oh, break a leg. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that gave you a big, I bet your attitude about it gave you a competitive edge, ironically. You yeah. know what I mean? Your, your, your sort of refusal to participate in the, uh, you know, because what, what ends up being at that level, at the entry level, let's say, with, with competition is it ends up being like something that cannibalizes itself and doesn't, doesn't really propel anybody to the next. Yeah. But I, I imagine your approach probably did uh, propel you. Um. I, I don't know. I always just try to be as supportive and 
as possible because I mean, it doesn't matter. We're all still trying to get to the same goal. And if I don't get it, then I hope you get it. That's something that I remember about you is actually your, the attitude that you had um, from my perception was one of common good and, and kindness and um, yeah. And, and, and wanting the best for people. And I'm wondering, where do you think that came from? Uh, probably the way I grew up. Um, my dad used to always say, like when me and my siblings were fighting, he'd be like, "Hey, stop it! Look at look at each other. This is what this is who you this is who you are. This is what you have. This is all you have." And so, wherever I am in life whoever's around me, I, I feel the same, the fit, feel the same way. Like right now at this moment, this is what you have. This is all you have. Like, it's like living in the now, you know what I mean? Like I see, I see life as a, just one giant improv show. And so, you know, it's, it's always about saying yes. And it's always about being there and supporting and, helping and if you know if I don't get the funniest line in can I actually lead it up and let you get it yeah because mm -hmm. maybe tomorrow I'll get the funny line who cares right a rising tide raises all ships yeah so did you go to uh, LA right after you graduated no I was in Chicago for a couple of years um I did a lot of theater um I got my first movie there, um, <clears throat> and that was a hilarious, hilarious audition. Um, is this for a But I'm a Cheer Cheerleader? No, it was for Payback. Oh. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's right, with Mel it, Gibson? Yeah, yeah, very little role, but, I, but it was with Mel, and the audition was hilarious because it was Jane Alderman, mm -hmm. and uh, so... I had, I had like six callbacks for, I mean, this big of a role. And I was like, this, this is nice. <laughs> and I go in for the final callback and Jane's like, well, Kat, it's between you and one other person. And I'm like, Jane, don't, why don't you have to say that? You know, I wasn't nervous. Now I'm nervous. She was like, just remember what I've taught you. And I'm like, no, I can't remember anything. I can't even remember my lines. And she, we get up there. She's got the, 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 the video, literal video camera. And she's like, uh, when you slate, can you, can you please also add in how tall you are? And I'm like, sure. And I'm like, Hello, my name is Katrina Phillips, and I slate. And, uh, and as I'm turning around, I'm like, and I am, and it occurred to me why she asked me how tall I was because Mel Gibson was so short. And I went, I am four foot nine. <laughs> and I bent my knees. And, and Jane's like, Katrina, stop it. And I'm like, stop what? <laughs> and, and she's like, Katrina stand up i'm like i'm standing can we please just get along with this and she was like she was like katrina you're embarrassing me and you're embarrassing yourself i'm like i'm not embarrassed so i don't know what you're talking about can we please be professional and just keep going and she was like fine action and so we do the wow. scene and i'm i'm literally like squatting and uh we we end the scene and she turns off the camera and she tells me, she's like, I can't believe that you just did that. You just blew it. You blew it. And I was like, what? And she goes, do you know who's getting the final uh, answer? Who gives the final answer on every role? What? Who? Mel Gibson. And I was like, oh, fuck. She was like, he's going to see this. 
And I was like, should we go again? She goes, no, goodbye. I'm going to call your agent. And I was like, oh, that's like, I'm going to call your dad. Oh my <laughs> you know? God. And my agent got called and I got chewed out. And I remember going to SPL and being like, guys, I messed up. And I told everyone that I worked with what happened. And they were like, here's a shot. Here's <laughs> And then all of a sudden, my pager goes off. It's my agent. <laughs> my pager, yeah. My pager, my beeper. Uh-huh. And uh, and I, I call, and they're like, we're sorry we yelled at you. And um, you got the part. <gasps> wow. And so I had to meet him. And I, I was just like, hello. Mr. Gibson, hello. And he was bending. Were you bending down? I was like, I was like, what do I do? You know, what do I do? Yeah, because you're quite tall. You're you're um, like five ten or something. Like five nine. Yeah. And uh, it was really funny because I was the the bank teller, and they had me in a ditch and him on an apple box. Of course, these things you can solve. I mean, you know. (laughs) And. So we would be doing the scene and, and he was, he's really, he was really fun on set and we would just be joking around. And I mean, like for that little tiny scene, it took eight hours because he just kept joking around. And then like when they'd say like, okay, uh, let's take five minutes, little break. He'd be like, Hey, you want to go outside? And then I'd be like, sure. And so we'd be walking. He's on one side of the, the, the bank thing and I'm on the other and so he's like up here I'm down here and then as we're walking it just slowly went like this <laughs> that's a great story that's hilarious I I you're the first person to um say something like that about Jane Alderman and I, yeah I'm so happy to hear it because I I hated Jane Alderman may she rest in peace and I uh, felt, uh, you know, very alone in that. Everybody else seemed to really love her, but she had a way, I mean, talk about competition. She was competing with all of us. It was in this, it was so bizarre. I mean, since her, I've experienced casting directors to be, they are your champions. They want you to do well. They want you to make the job of casting this role easier um, whereas I felt like Jane, if she didn't personally like you, she really wanted you to fail. It was, yeah. They were, there were times, especially in that class where I just kind of, I don't know. I, I got this a lot though in different classes with different teachers of them wanting to make me something that I wasn't. And, and I, I really just wouldn't stand for it. And um, I remember once in Shakespeare class, they were like, I can't remember her name, the teacher. Susan Lee? No, not Susan. No, the redheaded one. Redheaded. Trudy, Trudy Kessler? Not no. Trudy. It's I know who you're talking about. Christine? Christina Dare. Dare. Christina Dare, yeah. Um, yes, she, she was like, you're going to, you for your final, your final, the monologue you're doing is Juliet. And I was like, when would I ever be aud- auditioning for Juliet? That's not me. And she was like, you need to, you need to find it in you. And I'm like, I would never get even cast as Juliet. I wouldn't even audition for Juliet. I just wouldn't. And she was like, well, that's your final. And I was like going out of my mind. I was like, how am I going to even do this? And so, and she was like, and you have to wear a skirt and you have to, I was like, I don't do that, you know? And so I, I got the skirt that looked kind of like, um, camouflage 
<laughs> and I wore combat boots. Mm-hmm. I think I remember this. I think I do too. And a tank top. Mm-hmm. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, the, I was like the bitchiest Juliet in the world. I was like, Romeo, <laughs> Romeo, where far thou, Romeo? <laughs> and I'm like stomping around, and I look over and like. Christina Darris was like in the corner and this is the final so like all the professors are right there and uh right. oh yes oh yes we had to do our finals in front of everybody yes. Don, Don Ilko was like <laughs> did we do them in front of each other too or was it just uh-huh. the teacher oh my gosh I remember John Jenkins had a like um John Jenkins loved it. He was I'm like sure he, he was like I'm he sure was he like did. <laughs> He had like a code how he took notes because if you were sitting next to him he you know so he had a certain way that he took notes where you couldn't read what he was saying. Oh. I I until this moment I completely forgot about doing finals in in front of the faculty and did, was it that we always had to do a scene and a monologue or we had showcase. We had like a showcase. scene showcase. Yeah, we had. Sometimes it was scenes. Sometimes it was monologues. Um, and I know Christine wanted to fail me on that one, and I think that uh, other faculty members were like, "Well, I thought that was very ingenious." No, no, no. And, the, and, the, and so she couldn't fail me. And um, but she was she was quite upset with me. But I liked it. I was like, well, you're going to make me do Juliet. This is my Juliet. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that was, I mean, a- a- another thing that's always been true about you is you've always been very self-possessed. And that comes <laughs> up a lot in this podcast, too. Like how, how the how the school itself dealt with people who already knew themselves before they came into the school because uh, Boz and I both feel that we didn't know ourselves at all until way, way, way after graduating. Mm. And that that um, quality in us worked for them because they liked su- supplicants <laughs> um, and but but uh, didn't help us, you know, mm. u- ultimately what wasn't wasn't very helpful to us. That's interesting that you say that, because what I remember of you two is. Especially you, Jen, uh, I mean, you would walk into a room and just be like, what? Oh yeah, <laughs> you were like, you were like, let's do this. And Gina, you were always like. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> wow. So that's how I saw you guys. And wow. I, was, I thought you guys were very, very powerful people, which you are. Oh. It could be that you are a person who just sees right through to the middle of somebody, you know, whereas I, I think, um, and, and acting is not not really about that. It's not really seeing right through to the middle of somebody. It's more, yeah. obser- you know, doing what, what's being observable on the outside. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's one of your special skills. That's your, I think that's your superpower. I think you're able to see past the weirdness of the outside and to what is really happening with a person, which makes sense based on the work you do now and with both humans and animals, um, it's sort of seeing the essence of people and believing the sort of the core goodness of them or the core power that they have, you know, the power inside that they have, because yeah, yeah, that that's, a, that's your superpower. I think, you know, Oh, wow. I well, I used to work with um, homeless teenagers um, as a counselor, and even with them, they you're I'm talking like kids that have been living on the street for like five years, you know, um, been in foster homes and abused and all this. And I think what I really loved about that job was to was exactly that to, to find that peace inside of them that was 
so brilliantly them and just bring that out and let them have something to shine because they wow. they didn't believe that they had anything and i'm like it was like my competition with myself like no you're gonna find it in every single one wow and um even the ones that you don't like you <laughs> which know? is very hard to do <laughs> yeah and i was like no i will find the positive in you and wow. and i try to do that with with everyone is like everyone's got something very very special and so if i can concentrate on what's special and beautiful and unique about you then i can't help but like you yeah i think i got you derailed you were when you because when you told the uh mel gibson story i think you were going to tell us that was your first um movie that was your first experience that is that what led you to la or how did that work yeah how'd you end yeah. up um, well, I did that, and then um, I had a breakup, relationship breakup, and um, I just felt like it was it was time to to give it a shot because um, I got scared when we did our showcase in LA um, because I, I did get a lot of calls, and and then someone someone made a very racist remark, uh, someone in my class. And uh, it was, uh, I won't say any names, but she hadn't gotten any calls. And so like we were all pitched in for a rental car and we were helping each other, you know, like, no, I'll drive you here and this and that and this and that. And, and I was going out a lot and she got very upset and she said, Well, the only reason that she's getting so many calls is the same reason that she never got any warnings in school. It's because she's oh. black. And I was like, okay. And then I got an offer that they said, we want to write you into this show. Um, you're going to play the lead's best friend. I was like, the part's not even written. They're like, no, we're writing you in. You don't have to audition. You don't have to do anything. And I was like, well, what about what I really, and they were like, nope, we're going to get you an apartment and, um, you know, give us all your contact information in Chicago. We'll have everything packed up for you and moved out. And, and I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then the part of me that is not secure made up a reason in my head to not take it. Mm. Totally. I was like, that's a stupid show and it's not going to last very long. Well, it went on for nine seasons. Mm. Again, another reason when, you know, when you know those things that you think back on and you're like, wow. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah. I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I did that. <laughs> Would you have wanted to be on the show? I mean, did, did you really think it was stupid or? Yeah, I did. Have... Yeah. I did think it was stupid. You know, that's not, that's not made up. I did think it was stupid. And so I look back on it and I either have days where I just want to kick myself, but then I also have other times when I look back on it and I'm really proud of myself because I don't think I would have been happy. Mm -hmm. But you did do a lot of TV, mm -hmm. right? In the, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that you were a series regular for nine years on anything, but you no. have done a lot of, a lot of television. Do you still? No, no. I got really tired of television. Um, it's so bland, like, in my opinion, um, it's all about, you know, hitting your mark and finding your light and literally like a piece of tape down on the floor. And they're more concerned about that piece of tape than if you 
can actually act. And um, it's mainly about what something looks like versus what can you really bring to the script. Um, and again, it's so like cookie cutter. You, it has to be done the same way every single time. Da 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 da. And um, there's no. I just felt like there's not a life in it. Um, much prefer the stage. Have you done theater in the since since theater school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. Um, I did a lot of theater in Chicago, and then I did a lot of theater in L.A. Um, I did work at the Hot House with Ab Colley and Rob Adler, and um, I don't know what that is. What's oh, the Hot House? The Hot House was, or is, I don't know if it's still running. Probably no, it's still running. Um, so Ab Colley, actually, David Ab Colley, flew out to Los Angeles. He moved to Los Angeles and he started an improv school called the Hot House, and. Um, I know Rob was one of the instructors. There was about five different levels. And he had me in there. I probably had me in there as a mole. Because he was like, I, I can't stand Los Angeles actors. It's like, it's like, they're so in their ego. And he was like, I need someone to go into the classes. Like you're like a new student. And when I say something like, okay, I need somebody to get up there and, and be a German giraffe, they, they, you'll go up there and do it. And I was like, so you want me to be your dancing monkey? Mm -hmm. And he was like, I just need somebody to get in there and show people, like, this is not about what you look like. This is not about, you know, he was like, I, I, want, I want these actors to be better. And that's why he started the, the hot house because in the, the Hollywood, as I said, everything is about what you look like. And it's, ugh. but this was fun. And, um, I ended up doing like at the end of your, your class, like your graduation, you get to do, a, I think it was like two weekends of shows. And uh, the group that I ended up sticking with, um, I think we went for a year and a half. Wow. And That's it was cool. it was so much fun. So much fun. Um, I think that that was by far probably one of my favorite shows I've ever done. And it was hmm. all just the kind of improv that we learned at school, all organic, you know. And um, we would just have the, the craziest times. It was it was awesome. And the um, I think there was one show where we did the whole thing in gibberish and opera. Oh my god! <laughs> and none of this was thought up beforehand. It just happened, and people were like, "When you were singing about your dying grandmother." <laughs> and I'm like, grandmother. I guess okay, you can interpret whatever you know. It was gibberish. That's great. I I have to ask you about, um, but I'm a cheerleader. I love that movie, and I just wanted to hear about your experience working on it. Oh wow, thank you. It's um, it was a lot of fun. We're actually coming up on the 20th anniversary. 20th year anniversary and um it's going to be interesting to watch because they're putting in deleted scenes wow and wait so, is this something that other people can see oh yeah they're they're coming out with the director's cut oh, yes. <laughs> oh i'm so psyched Yay. for that that's awesome so i was all excited and i was like telling my parents i was like they're coming out with the new version. And then, 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 then they were like, Ooh, we want to see it. And I thought about it. I was like, Oh wait, <laughs> I know some of these deleted scenes. 
that's <laughs> the reason they were taken out was because they tried to give us a uh, rated X. Yeah, oh, right. There were the sex scenes that got cut out. Not just that. <laughs> oh wow! So, um, so I'm I'm gonna be really interested to see it, and it's really funny because a group of my rescue friends are like, I think we should have a viewing party, and I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you should watch it on your own, and. And then not talk to me for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) But that's so great to have your youth, you know, captured for eternity. I'm I'm envious of people who did film in their youth because then you you always have a reference point. I mean, one of the things that we're finding is that we forget so much about this time period. And one of the amazing things about talking to people is different people have different little pieces of the puzzle and it's helped us reconstruct a lot of, uh, because when we first started uh, talking about this, basically we didn't remember anything (laughs) about anything. We remembered like this teacher and that play and graduating and showcase. And that was kind of it. So we're kind of, I don't remember graduating. You don't? No. Yeah. I have vague memories of being in that, in the Merle Ruskin with the whole, but it was like a lot. It was like the, it wasn't just the theater school anyway. Yes. But we're getting talking to you, like hearing that, Oh yes, we had to do it in front of teachers. We had to do our Shakespeare monologues. I remember in costume and Oh, so it's been so good to, to hear that you're providing answers for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're filling in the blanks. No, I so- remember a lot about school. Um, a lot. I remember freezing my ass off um, in half of those classrooms because there was no heat. I remember, um, you know, movement to music. I used to call it spontaneous sex on sweaty mats. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I remember teachers that hated me and were not in any way, shape or form afraid to show it. Um, I remember actually kind of wrestling one of them and flipping him. But, like, literally? Yeah. Wow. In what context? In movement to music. Oh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. He, uh, we did movement to music with teachers? Well, he joined in. And, oh, was it? I know who it was. We can, and he... Yes came after me like this and got on top of me. And I was like, I remember I, cause I, he was like pinning me down. And I, I remember looking over and the whole class was like, I remember Kate McKiernan's face. She was like, Oh no, don't do that to cat. And I just flipped his ass. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. What are some of the other shows that you remember fondly? Mm. There's Marisol. I love the yellow boat. Mm-hmm. Um, that was so much fun. Um, and you guys were so supportive because I remember my grandmother died. That's oh, right. Yes. And mm. I was like, oh, wow, this is where the, the phrase, the show must go on really kicks into play and you guys were just like we got you and we're gonna we're gonna get through this and so thank you again um you're welcome and yeah that was a good experience yellow boat yeah um what other place did i do the women you were in the women oh yes i was in the women that was hilarious um Like I was like I was always like oh I can't believe I have to the the little short shorts that they made me wear as the physical fitness instructor I was like oh my god <laughs> um, yeah the women um, I can't remember okay now I'm losing my memories that's okay it happens I'm telling you it happens we're telling you it happens people are like. 
once once the door opens and people get into this conversation, it becomes this weird thing of remembering, not remembering things, memories coming in and out. It's like this strange dance that we've yeah. opened this door to, you know? <laughs> so you had teachers who didn't appreciate you, let's say, but then did you also have champions? Yes, definitely. Um, Phyllis Griffin's like, I just feel like she's somehow related to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was amazing to have a, a teacher of color um, in a very white school. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, I remember Dorcas Johnson. Um, I don't know if you guys ever met Dorcas. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, sorry, I get sad every time I talk to about her. Um, but she did a a play. She um, and it was all done in poetry. Different poets th- that she had masterminded different poems and put them together in a certain way that it made a play. And it was for Black history, um, and it was all the Black students in the school, like all six of us. Mm-hmm. And Phyllis actually was the one who, because I was a freshman at the time, so I wasn't supposed to be in any plays. And um, she was like, no, it's it's important for, for you to do this. And so I got to perform with some really amazing people and Phyllis was um, extremely supportive and um, and strangely enough David Avcolly loved me yes I remember that and he was a hard ass on me the meanest thing he ever said to me was uh, in class I had forgotten about a homework assignment and so he called on me to get up and, and do the assignment. And I just made it up on the spot. And he, he went like this, stop. The fuck was that? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, sit down. Don't ever do that again. And I was like, okay. <laughs> And so I was like, oh, he's going to, he's going to ring me. Right. So I sat down in his office and he's like going through papers, writing notes. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, and he goes, you're fine. Get out. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Okay. I was like, what, what's that? that to me? <laughs> yeah. What's yeah. well, that was his jam. He really liked manipulating people into having extreme emotional experiences. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, you know, just a little bit. <laughs> but it you was, in the end, it was a positive. I mean, he all positive. He, yeah. 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 Wow. And then I got to work with him in LA and that was great. So many times like Somebody will say, oh, have you seen this TV show? It's so great. And they, sh- they put it on for me because I don't have a TV. They put it on for me. And I'm like, oh, that's my friend. Oh, that's my friend, too. Oh, yeah. I worked with that person. Right. And it, it's so cool to I, – I just feel so proud of everyone. Like, I don't even – it doesn't matter if you're not acting anymore. Right. I, I love to see your lives. <laughs> I have a funny story to tell. Uh, My kids make fun of me because I'm always like, I went to college with that person. I went to college with that person. And we were watching the Super Bowl. And I had just seen somebody in a commercial that I don't remember now who it was. And, And then the commercial changed. And my son said, did you go to school with him too? And it was John Hoogenaker doing the the beer dilly dilly thing. Uh-huh. I go, actually, yes. yes. I <laughs> actually, right. 
Yes. Yes. Yes, I did. And that one and that one. Dilly dilly. Yes, I did. Yeah. There's, there was one time that I started crying actually because uh, somebody was like, have you ever seen the show Heroes? And I was like, no. And they're like, oh, I think you would love that show. So we're watching it and then the episode comes on where there was like three or four people that I knew in the same episode. Yep. And I was just like, <gasps> Leonard Leonard Roberts is in that show, right? And yeah, it was, and uh, Kim Lee was in it, and like all these people that I knew, and I was just—I mean, literally—I I felt like I wanted to jump into the TV and just play with them. And That's I was so like, sweet. you know, it's like—I um, don't know—it made me really miss acting, and it, I don't know. But I mean, I guess we're always acting, so. <laughs> in a way, yeah, in a way we always are. Um, I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. Follow us on Instagram at Undeniable Writers or on Twitter at Undeniable W-R-I-T-1. That's Undeniable Write without the E-1. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>